0: My name is Sean Jordan. Welcome to the Adaptive Outdoorsman Podcast. Here we'll be discussing the history and legacy behind disabled hunters, trappers, anglers, and how they adapt and persevere in the woods, on the line, and on the water. Welcome everyone to the podcast. I'd like to introduce my guest, Barb Terry, who is the Custom Relations Trade Show Coordinator, Training and Education. Asian director at Ten Point Crossbows. Thank you for coming on. Oh,
1: you're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you. I know uh, we met at the Indie Trade Show down down in Indy, the uh, t- Deer, Turkey, and Waterfowl Trade Show. And then I found out that you're actually following me on Facebook for well, my the podcast on Facebook, which was kind of amusing to me. I'm a
1: semi-stalker there. <laughs>
0: Hey, if, if it gets me followers, I'm happy. Go. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you get involved with uh, 10 point crossbows?
1: Well, it's kind of a odd story. Um, I'd actually purchased a crossbow in 1993. And uh, that was because my brother had bought one. And he says, here, try this. And he cocked it for me and I shot. He says, well, you did pretty good. He says, shoot again. So I did, and I Robin and hooded my first arrow. And he's like, oh, cool. He says, wait a minute. I only got six arrows. You just ruined two of them. So I told him, I said, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I said, here, have, take some money. Go buy one for me. Buy the same thing, and I'll give you two of my arrows. So I did that. And uh, I had that for a couple of years. And uh, I ended up going to a a small show, outdoor show, and uh, one of the dealers down in that area was having this, and they had some vendors in, and one vendor happened to be Hunter's Manufacturing, which is what Ten Point was called originally. And this gentleman uh, said, hey, do you ever shoot one of these? I said, yeah, I've got one. I said, you know, I can shoot field points. I'm not good with broadheads. You know, the other story goes on. He says, Well, here, I need you to shoot this. So I did, and I was drilling him. He says, You know what? He says, You can shoot. And I said, Well, yeah, I pretty much knew that. He's I've got somebody I need you to talk to. So he had me talk to one of the owners who happened to be on site. And uh, long story short, that owner set me and another female up on the same day as pro staffers. I didn't know her. She didn't know me. And uh, the goal was to get a couple of females on the staff as shooters and mm-hmm. to use us uh, doing events like the women in the outdoors events with uh, the National Wild Turkey Federation and the Jake's events mm-hmm. with the National Wild Turkey Federation. So we... We got paired up to do those events together, and then we also did things like the Ohio Deer and Turkey Expo in Columbus, mm-hmm. Ohio, and once or twice we did the um, ATA, the Archery Trade Association Show in nice. in uh, Columbus. So I got doing it like that. And I had about seven, six, seven and a half years under my belt. And the full-time job that I had eliminated my position. And I found out the day before I had to drive to uh, my next event to work with the kids. And the other pro staffer was talking to her on the phone, told her what happened. Just man, that's that, that's not good. I said, well, yeah. definitely not. I've got to find a job now. And she told the owner that it actually found us and he's like you tell bard to get a resume up to us so i sent a resume up and they had a lot of experience with me and uh, ended up they had an idea for a job and they just didn't have anybody in mind yet and i kind of fit that bill so when i first started my job was a lot of different jobs put together and i answered the different people Nice. I worked in warranty, so I had to learn how to repair all the bows. I worked in customer service, so I talked to the customers about their problems with their bows. I took sales orders. I did trade shows. And then I still did the the different events. So that all happened in December of three. I started working full time. So I went from 90, wow. 1996 as a pro-staffer to the end of 93 or end of 03 as a full-time employee.
0: 03 is when I graduated high school.
1: <laughs> I had already been retired from the military for a couple of years at that point.
0: Wow. Yeah, had quite a career before you even got into I, doing what you're doing I now. Did. Do you have much uh, time in the outdoors? In terms of hunting or fishing or anything? Oh, I
1: try. I, I certainly yeah. try. Um, a lot of my time during hunting season now is uh, guiding the uh, uh, physically challenged,
2: uh,
1: the uh, special needs folks and veterans mm-hmm. that have different uh, issues. So I, I spend a lot of time doing that. And My brother and I have a boat together and we love to fish. So we we try to get as much fishing in as we can.
0: Nice. So, how did Ten Point get involved with uh, this disabled community?
1: It happened. There was an Ohio uh, game warden that had contacted the owner of Ten Point and he wanted somebody to assist with a hunt for six. Uh, physically challenged youth. And uh, I was asked if I would do that and I said, sure. So it was my job to bring all of the equipment uh, for the hunt and it was my job to uh, work with each of the kids prior to the hunt. And that was a, a full day, but the morning was uh, they had seminars on uh, shot placement and how to use the crossbow and a lot of different things like that. So I'd give them a lot of education in the morning. And then I would work with each and every one of them to make sure they were able to shoot. And each one had yeah. a guide with them and uh, normally a cameraman. So uh, with me, I was always one of the guides also. And normally I would take the person that needed the most help. Uh, as my person that I would guide. It, it worked out good. You know, it was the equipment that I was bringing down. I was teaching. So I always have a tendency to take the person that needs the most assistance.
0: Well, now, uh, when d- did this happen? What year was it? We're looking
1: at around 2005. Hmm. I've been doing this a long time and I haven't missed a year.
0: Wow. Let's see, <laughs> 2005 to 15. Yeah, that's that's a little more in my my uh, sleep-deprived math. <laughs> Get out now.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's been a hot minute.
0: Yeah. And did you deal with uh, disabled individuals uh, personally before you got with Ten Point, or was that just how it evolved? It, it
1: just kind of evolved. Uh, we were you know, a really small staff when I first started uh, full-time, and since I had experience with the youth and the women, you know, a little bit of what I learned from those uh, interactions I kind of brought into the full-time realm, and it just kind of worked out that anybody that had a disability would be uh, transferred over to me, and you know, I would talk them through. And still to this day, even though I don't work in customer service anymore, or that type of thing, uh, if somebody gets a call, they will transfer somebody that has technical questions for uh, disabled folks.
0: Yeah. Well, that's definitely something to look forward to, right?
1: (laughs) Hopefully I have the answers. Uh, Most of the time now I do. There's been a lot of Trial and error. So I've got a mm-hmm. lot of things that I can recommend for dis- different disabilities.
0: Now, when uh, you joined, how big was Ten Point compared to what they are now?
1: And we're we're very large mm-hmm. compared to what we were. Uh, we've we've grown in leaps and bounds. We're probably uh, employee wise at least three to four times the amount of people.
0: Yeah. And I know uh the technology has gotten a lot better over the years going from strings and rail systems to it's what now railess system? We
1: don't have railess uh right now, but uh, there there's a lot of different things. Instead of two cables, we've got four cables on several boats, we've got uh, built-in cocking devices, and we've got several types. So Uh, When we first started out as Hunter's Manufacturing, uh, we started with the first patents, and Hunter's Manufacturing was brought about in 1994. And in 2000, we changed the name to Ten Point Crossbow Technologies. Uh, We're currently sitting at over 100 patents, so we're not we're not just sitting there and uh, you know reinventing the wheel and you know copying something we've done year after year after year, we're out there trying to uh, find new ways to make people happy out there in the woods.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, I know we were looking at uh, some of the crossbows when when I showed up, and I liked the design for the safety features for the uh, cocking of the bow and uncocking of the bow. When did that start coming up? We
1: started in uh, 2020 with the first safe cocking and safe decocking of the crossbow. So you can start to uh, crank that crossbow up. And if your hand slips off the handle or you take your hand off the handle or just stop, it's not going to backwind on you. A lot of them, you know, works like a gear system, like a boat winch. So, you know, if you flip that lever down and you let go of that handle, you've got any tension on there, that handle is going to, you know, go back wildly and hit you and hurt you. Well, that's the yeah. way, you know, a lot of the units were, work. it works on that gearing system, but the way this is working, whether you're cocking it or decocking it, you don't have to flip any additional button. You can just let go of that handle. Or let it slip from your hand, or just stop altogether, and it's totally silent.
0: Yeah, that seems like uh, a feature that you would think you would see on things like uh, the Raven crossbows, and uh, I don't even know if Carbon Express even exists anymore. I haven't been able to see. Yeah.
1: Well, that's something we've, we've got the patents on this system. So, you know, it's one of those uh, brand new type of technology.
0: Nah. And, and nobody else thought to bring it <laughs> up, right?
1: Well, we're we're constantly trying to uh, be innovative. And, you know, the customers want silent talking. The customers want safe. And we definitely want our customers being safe. So we we yep. work hard at trying to make things better uh, to fit all of those.
0: Things. Yeah. Uh, how often does the s- strings and the cables, Lord, the words, cables, the the ca- yeah, the cables and the I know everybody else calls them strings, um, but you if you're in the industry, if you're actually in there with the car- crossbows, you know what they're actually called. We never knew that. Nobody ever told us yeah, that. We
1: have strings you know that you actually talk the bow back with with the string you talk the string back yeah and then the cables are there unless you have a recurve we haven't had a recurve in quite a few years well uh, recurve is yeah. just the one string but um on the wider models we recommend changing them every 3 to 4 years with just you know normal use on the high-performance yeah. crossbows that we have nowadays, if you're shooting them a lot, you want to change them every year and sometimes twice a year. Some people go out there and that's all they do. You know, yeah. you've got retired people that just love to shoot, and they'll put on a hundred, two hundred shots in a day, and they'll do yeah. this day in and day out. And some people even have ranges in their homes. They'll, they'll build a range Reverse. in their garage
0: or they're building a range in their basement but they just shoot and shoot and shoot versus a hunter like me that brings it up maybe during turkey season or uh also during deer season and that's all she wrote on so for something like that for like a hunter like me how often for a high performance would I have to change? Would it be yearly? Still, um, or would you
2: can it be- probably
1: go every two years. What you need to do is on on ours. We've got um, timing marks. So You always want to look at your timing marks uh, when you get it, and you know write down where they're at because I know you're not going to remember. I'm not going to remember. Yeah. Uh, and when things start to move. You know, if those timing marks are further and further apart now, or, you know, in a different place, that means Mm -hmm. you've got some stretch going on. So anytime you have stretch, it's not necessarily a good thing. You know, limbs are meant to be flexed in a certain position. You have a certain area. And for those people that say, well, I've had my crossbow for 10 years or 15 years, and I've never changed the string and cables yet, and it flies the way it did when I first bought it.
2: Yeah.
1: I find that hard to believe because those strings and cables stretch over time. You just don't notice it. You may not see any fuzzy on there because you, know, you may put some wax on there on the string cables, but they do stretch over, over time. And you're doing yeah. your bow a disservice and that animal that you're out hunting a disservice. If you've got cables, you know, string that are stretched, because you're not going to hit necessarily where you plan on hitting. If you don't change your sights, if you don't change the string cables, you, know, you can go from making a, a good shot to wounding an animal, and you know, mm-hmm. not finding it.
0: Yeah. So, do you still recommend putting wax on it? And I know. The newest model that I saw of the tent, the crossbow, it didn't look like it needed the uh, rail lubricant.
1: We use, um, we're using a, a premium lubricant. We're recommending it on the rail and on the strings and the cables. Uh, it actually, uh, we, we put the wax on the stringy cables, and then we put the uh, premium lubricant over top. And it'll keep the stringing cables uh, supple, and it'll keep them from uh, drying out. And uh, Mm -hmm. we put that premium lube on the rail. You don't want uh, to have a completely dry rail and uh, have that serving dry. If you've ever been around a Mm -hmm. crossbow and somebody shoots it, and it smells like gunpowder after they shoot, that's the heat from shooting that when that string is riding down the rail, so if you've got that yep. rail lube on there or that, that premium lubricant. you're not going to uh, smell that uh, gunpowder smell like you would if it's completely dry with nothing on there.
0: Hmm. Now that's something I did not <laughs> know. I need to do some maintenance on a Yes. Leg. I get a new one that actually is a little bit better performance also (laughs) yeah I got the Carbon Express X-Force Advantage and you can definitely it's one where you have to use the cocking strings to pull it all the way up and it's weird is the cocking strings dig into the crossbow and they're doing damage to itself and everything and I just, it's starting to become, it's still useful, but, you know, you think, okay, it's time to change it out now. I've had it for, I think, five years okay. now. And, yeah, I mean, I wax it, and I use the rail lube, and I think I'm using the cheap rail lube because it doesn't look like it lasts very long.
1: Sometimes the it does And, you
0: know,
1: it depends on how much pressure that string is putting on that rail you want very little pressure. And if you look close at some of the new bows that we have, the upper end bows, we have um, a micro track uh, uh, rail where the rail isn't solid all the way across on each side. There's a groove in there, so Mm -hmm. that string is actually touching less of that rail. It's touching the same amount as far as width, but it's not touching in that center part of each side of the rail.
0: Nice. Now for cost, how much does the latest iteration cost?
1: We start in our Wicked Ridge line at about four hundred and fifty dollars and we mm-hmm. go all the way up in our ten point line with a range finding scope at forty six hundred dollars. Go from wow. four fifty up to forty six hundred, but there's a lot of things in between there. Now you're talking
0: a Garmin range-finding scope on that one. So a yeah. lot uh, of different prices. For, yeah. yeah. for So let's say for a person with a standard scope on it, no range-finding, they just want to have the ability to cock and decock without having their hand ripped off by the uh, string, you know, during with it's time to pack it up. How much would one of those cost? For wicked
1: Ridgeline, you can start At about $1,000. And in the 10 point Mm -hmm. line, you can start just over $1,000.
0: Wow. So still worth uh, pretty penny investments. Um, How much is it for the strings and cables for replacements? And do you have to go to like a shop or you can do it yourself to? replace some them.
1: people do them themselves but they've been doing that for a long time and the more narrow the bows get the more specialized the uh, the press has to become uh, mm-hmm. when we went real narrow with the bows we had to have special fingers made uh, to actually fit on the presses to get in uh, to press that tight enough so last mm-hmm. chance press you there know, there a press that uh, can be portable, and you know they're more of a cost-effective type of press that works very well. And yeah. they uh, worked with us and made fingers so we could actually press the narrow bows in. So you know, if somebody has a bow press, they would have to be able to purchase the fingers to put on the press to go ahead and use it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, other than that. You know, most people need to take them to a qualified dealer. And just because a dealer sells a boat to you doesn't mean they know how to work on it.
2: Mm-hmm. So what
1: we have is an entire list of authorized service centers. And those service centers get training from us on how to put the streaming cables on and how to maintain the crossbows and how to work on any of the cocking devices. So they're allowed to do... More of the repairs, and you know, just because a shop sells something and they have a bow press in the shop doesn't mean they know how to
0: do it. Yeah, I know there's a so would I know there's a shop nearby for me that is in Wallbash, but I don't know if they would be qualified or whatnot. But well
2: then,
0: I know they have a their own bow shop and everything sure. they deal with Hoyt and all that, and they sell crossbows and regular. So would they're probably one of the few that actually has a bow shop. So if they have a bow shop, would they be the ones that are qualified or would you have to actually check it up on the listing? With
1: ours, the best and, thing to do is go to our website and okay. go to our dealer locator, put in the zip code, and then uh it'll mark it'll have marked on there whether it's an authorized service center or not.
0: Uh, so what happens when uh, you don't have an authorized dealer within driving distance. Do you just ship it in and say, and then or you have to call them up and say, Hey, I'm gonna send this in? Or so
1: the individual that owns the bow needs to get a hold of us, then and they get a return authorization number an RA number, and mm-hmm. then uh, send the bow into us, and we'll do whatever we need to do. If it's under warranty, we'll take care of it under warranty. If it's not under warranty, we'll give them a call and let them know how much the repair is going to be. So they've okay. they've got the choice to actually go through with the repair or not.
0: So what are usual the usual repairs that uh ten point deals with
1: a lot of uh, things we do Stringing cable changes or just uh, mm-hmm. regular maintenance. But, you know, there's a lot of user error out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. user error occurs when you've got people that use the bow, you know, just only to go out and hunt for a couple of days or a couple of weeks a year. And they don't practice and they forget what they're doing. Or they loan their bow to somebody and that person doesn't really know what they're doing and they do something wrong.
2: So, the,
0: so what what's usually the thing that the the thing that most people do wrong with it?
1: They'll overcock or over crank the cocking units. So they'll mm-hmm. you know mess things up inside of the cocking um, device. Uh, some people will actually if if it has a claw or the hooks, like on an AcuDot 50. Some people will forget to take those things off of the string, load an arrow, and that arrow doesn't go all the way back. And they'll shoot it with the the crank on, or with the uh, claw on there, or the hooks, or they'll shoot it without putting an arrow on there. So there's a lot of different things that folks do. They get in a hurry, they're joking around on range, they're not paying attention.
0: So it's usually around when somebody's doing something outside of the hunting range versus inside of the.
1: Hunting. Yeah, inside of the hunting range, one of the biggest things they do is if you have a hard-sided blind, or if you're in a tree, and you get yeah. too close uh, with the lens to the edge of the blind or the tree, you know they forget that uh, limbs go out when you shoot it. Yeah. So they'll get dents and dings in the cam or they'll crack the limbs. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. I know I'd need a boo-boo like that. I think it was my second or third year shooting with the crossbow I have. We have this small window on the left side of my hard mm-hmm. line and I was aiming out and I thought I had just an I was pulled back. I thought I had just enough room. So when the limbs extended back out to their normal range, you know, it wasn't going to do anything, but I shot and sure enough, I had not enough room and it nicked me about, I say, hit it and then moved my uh, shot, maybe a quarter of an inch to the left, but that was enough to, to miss the deer completely. Sure.
1: Well, if you were to ever, uh, watch the crossbow being fired in slow motion. And I mean, really slow motion. You'd be amazed at what happens with the limbs, the strings, the cables, the entire front end assembly. It, uh, it's almost like the, the string will do figure eights as, as it's going back and forth. And we only see it that, Hey, it's fast and it goes off fast and it stops fast. Well, mm-hmm. when you're shooting, uh, you know, 2,000 frames per second, you can see what all these uh, pieces go through. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't have some type of uh, dampening system on there, you get even more motion and whipping around. It's a wonder the stringing cables even stay on the bow after firing each time, if you watch it in slow motion.
0: Wow. I mean, that's all within a quarter of it, a second, usually.
1: It, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. How fast uh, do they usually uh, range from?
1: The crossbows?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, when I first started, it was in the low 200 as far as feet per second. And, uh, mm-hmm. We're going up advertised at 505 feet per second.
0: That's 200 feet more than the one I use now.
1: And even on our uh, entry-level models, you know, with a, with a lightweight arrow, they're going 380 feet per second.
0: Jeez. Yeah. Mine's 315. So even the base models for a brand new 10 points, way better (laughs) than what I've got. (laughs) So Transferring that from feet per second to miles an hour, how fast do you think that is? I
1: haven't figured that out. My, my train's not uh, set up to calculate it that, that fast.
0: Yeah, right. Let's see, what was it, 550 feet a 50 second? Five Miles per hour. <laughs> yeah, you'll love that. Trying to do it in the calculator didn't work mm-hmm. out right. That is 550 feet per second. That's 375 miles per hour. Well, we're, we're, we're doing so, 505. So, well,
1: well 550, is
0: 375. So, 505, you're still over <laughs> 370. So, so um, yeah, you're approaching the sound barrier. And uh, how, what's the farthest out? Uh, the top notch or what's the farthest out the average farthest out distance at the range
1: at the range we've got scopes that go out to 100 yards and you can be totally accurate with those that's not a problem and uh, mm-hmm. for hunting we don't recommend hunting beyond 50 yards there's too many variables and there's something called ethics and you want to be an ethical hunter or at least I want to be an ethical hunter. And I want to do everything in my power to be the most ethical out there with that animal that I plan on shooting. I want to make as best a shot as I could possibly make. And I don't want to wound an animal and have it out there suffering. I want to make a nice, clean shot and harvest and recovery.
0: Yeah, I know that we discussed that at the trade show and just before the podcast, but that's uh, something a lot of people don't realize about the crossbow is that it is a 50, 40 to 50 yard max shot for ethical placement. I mean, you could possibly in an open field, get away with 60, but that's really pushing it. Right.
1: And you know, there, there is something, even though, these crossbows are shooting flat. There's something called trajectory. And when you squeeze mm-hmm. that trigger, the first thing that's going to happen is that arrow is going to slightly, you know, especially in the fast ones, go up before it starts to level off or go down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got to work with trajectory there. And once you start going out the further distances, you're losing kinetic energy, you're losing speed. So you're Mm -hmm. you're losing that punch. And uh, there's just because you can see an animal, you think clearly, it doesn't mean there's not a twig in front of that animal. And, you know, that arrow, that broadhead can hit that twig and just throw that shot completely out of whack. And you think you made the perfect shot, but you didn't because you didn't see something in front of that animal. It blended in with it or, you know, you're working with a trajectory if you're shooting from the ground where that arrow is going to go up and then come down. You might hit that branch that looks like it's above the deer's back and, you know, you can uh, hit that. It's just a mess out there when you start getting those further distances
0: and it's weird. You'd think if it was traveling as fast as it would, it wouldn't cause that much of a problem, but it actually does. Still, I mean, it's. So, I mean, I know that people are compare pair, at least uh, crossbow bolts to bullets, but it don't really compare. No,
1: it, it definitely doesn't.
0: So. What type of uh, broadhead would you recommend?
1: Back back in the day, uh, the uh, broadheads Thunderhead was the big one when when I started. Yeah. So you know, if you were going with a fixed blade, Thunderhead was the fixed blade to go with. But if yeah. you don't uh, spin test your arrows, you could be shooting uh, Robin Hood's like. I was with field points and then just throw broadheads on. You could be shooting all over the place. Mm. They can plane. And fill yeah. points and broadheads don't always fly alike. Now they're getting no. closer and closer these days, especially with the expandables. Uh, back in 2006, I was uh, testing out uh, Spitfire for the first time. New yeah. archery product, Spitfire. And I harvested my first deer with a crossbow using that. And I used the Spitfire for many, many years. And I didn't yeah. look back. I, I didn't want to change. And every now and then I had to try a fixed blade out for whatever reason. And and uh, just my worn and fuzzy was with the Spitfire. And now that the crossbows are so fast, those Spitfires will open in air as they're flying. And you wouldn't think Mm -hmm. so. They didn't require rubber bands or o-rings to hold them shut. There's like a little D10 in there. And you know, in my mind, they'll they'll never open in flight. Well the faster crossbows, they will open in flight. So companies like NAP they you know did some Mm -hmm. uh experimenting and everything and they've got the uh the ones that have a rear deploy. So we actually worked with uh, NAP and we yeah. have our center punch broadhead, which is a rear deploy broadhead. And those will not open in flight. Uh, we've worked with uh, Montec. We have a Montech broadhead that's a fixed plate. That's not going mm. to plane like a lot of the other ones. And... People have to realize that if they're going from vertical archery to crossbow hunting, there's a big difference part of the time with the, uh, the broadheads. Just because a broadhead yeah. worked fine with their vertical bow does not mean it's going to work fine with a crossbow. And when I was in customer service, I would get a call, you know, at least once or twice a week during hunting season. I can't get my broadheads to group. They're all over the place. So my first question would be, what broadhead are you trying to use? And and, and I'm not knocking a company or anything, but they would say, uh, this one brand, that, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And I'd yeah. say, well, I, said, I bet you're using the four blade, aren't you? Yeah, how do you know? I said, because the three-blade ones don't plane like that, the four-blade do. And a lot of it had to do with the beveling at the point. If you would look at the point, the beveling, uh, a lot of air would catch and hit, and those were just playing all over the place. So if they went to the three-blade, they were good. Excuse me? Muzzies. Do you learn from experience? (sighs)
0: um no i have the three blades, but i'm learning from experience that they are not exactly and and i'm not knocking them for their lethality because you put them on a crossbow 315 feet a second it's gonna go through an animal but i was i went and used the crossbow i had the bolt and i was trying to dispatch uh a groundhog with you know because it was inside a cage and I didn't want to damage it. So I just wanted to, you know, spear the thing. And those trocar tips, those bone breaking trocar tips do not penetrate mm-hmm. height. And so I have a four from the trade show. I have a four blade from a company that I bought from there, but it's, it doesn't have the trocar tip. It's just a straight bladed. Instrument. So, would you think would I know? I we're talking about that one, but would you still say a four-bladed uh, broadhead that does not have that unique tip design would that st- still throw it off? Or it could.
1: And each crossbow is going to be different. You know, different speed. <clears throat> you know, different power stroke. It, it just depends. You you need to really test any broadhead before you
0: put it on there and attempt to go hunting with it. Yeah. So would you rec, uh, would you also think about would one, someone, uh, yeah, I know getting words out fun. So I'm thinking, I remember hearing about how they're re- recommending now, um, a, a heavier forward of center mass with, and a stiffer, uh, arrow for standard archery would that still transfer over to, to cross a lot of
1: people are going for the heavier uh, front of center the foc and what you're doing is you're losing a little bit of speed but what you're gaining is more kinetic energy on the back end and mm-hmm. you're doing less damage or having less wear and tear on the crossbow parts
2: uh, yeah.
1: because you're absorbing more of that in that energy with the shot. So that's not always a bad thing unless you go way heavy on that front end.
0: So, what would be the recommended heavy weight with the broadhead and the bolt design for a crossbow in your eyes?
1: Most of the uh, crossbow manufacturers recommend a 100 grain, and that's because. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily going to damage the front end or, you know, your uh, limbs or anything like that, but you're going to get more speed out of it. Uh, You can go 125 normally without a problem, and a lot of people go to 150. You start going heavier than that, and you can really take that front of center and Mm -hmm. go too far. And you could start to
0: plane and have issues there too. I know, I uh, think it was, I heard 200 grain for standard uh, vertical bows, but yeah, with crossbows, it's a little bit different because you do have a stiffer bolt already. Now, what would the weight for the bolt be then? As I know, they actually sh- started listening. I didn't even think about this till I actually started uh, shopping around for replacement bolts when I started either losing them or they get damaged. But they actually have uh, weights for the bolts themselves as well. Yeah,
1: the um, combination of the field point and the arrow shaft, some manufacturers have gone down to 350 grains total. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the entire combination we've done testing and we published some of our speeds at 370 grains total so that's a 270 grain arrow shaft and 100 grain point uh most of what we're doing now is 400 grains or higher and that's because wow. the speeds are getting faster so you're getting uh you know, more, again, that wear and tear, and that violent action on that bow assembly to where you need something heavier to absorb part of that energy.
0: Mm-hmm. And that'll actually transfer down toward down to the target or the target species you're actually harvesting. Right.
1: And, you know, you add a little bit extra weight. A lot of times it cuts part of the noise, too of that mm-hmm. shot. And again, you've got less wear and tear on your limbs and stringing cables.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I know, uh, people often associate, uh, the crossbow with an, with a rifle, but would you think it's more a crossbow is for the archery world, more akin to a muzzleloader than
1: Well, versus a rifle. Yes, but it's still, uh, and it's a short range type of uh, weapon, and yeah. it's not a longer range weapon. And I do periodically muzzle load hunt, and I'm not going to take a shot with a crossbow that I would take with a muzzle loader. Yeah. So, you know.
0: Uh, I was just thinking it more like the reload times.
1: Oh, the reload times? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, reload time is about the same.
0: Yeah, so I was thinking. I mean, yeah, when I uh, last year I was shooting at a doe and I missed, and she came back, and I was literally having to recock with uh, the strings and reload, and that thing still was bound and looked at me and gave me the perfect broadside. So, up oh, okay.
1: Well, that one needed out of the herd.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Actually I shot and three of them took off and there was there was a seven doe in the field so I took uh, a shot and yeah three of them took off and then I was thinking can I still make another shot and one came back from the three and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna try and it stuck around and now the last of it's in there my well
1: I had a five point on the uh, out in front of me at about 18 yards. And it stayed out there and stayed out there. And then a button buck come in at about eight yards. And then the doe come in. She walked up to the button buck, checked him out. And she started eating with the button buck. Well, then here come my target buck out. And she looked at him and she says, "Nope, I don't want any part of you. And she just kind of jogged off. She didn't take off, but she just kind of jogged off. But that button buck stayed there, and that five-point stayed there. And this buck went behind the feeder, and it come up at 12 yards, and I shot him. And he didn't go 30 yards and watched him pile up. And the button buck and the five-point ran off, but the button buck didn't come back. The five-point was back in about two minutes. And resumed eating, and and I, you know, it was, you know, amazing how he came back and he's like, no, nope, I don't care, the big one's not going to bother me, I'm out of here, and
0: yeah,
1: yeah, he just he he didn't care.
0: Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I remember hearing a story about a guy. He harvested a buck in a two buck state. And so he gutted it out. I think it was private land. He gutted it out right there, dragged it out, and he came back the next day and sat down. And here comes along another buck, and he sniffs the gut pile, pees on it, and continues mm-hmm. on his way. Like they do not their whole self def, uh, preservation act. They do not care if it's right. dead, and uh, that is just amazing that they you could literally harvest one right in front of their eyes and okay. Food's better. I mean, yeah, I shot that one doe. She took off and crashed and there's still four other doe in the field, just like staring around, looking at it. And then they got the idea. Eventually it's like, okay, uh, it's time to go. So now we're going to move. Uh, what is the future? Of ten point, what's going to be happening with the next few years of ten point in the industry? Well, for you know,
1: the the future's still bright. At at least in my Mm -hmm. my mind, Um, we have you know very innovative team. Uh, We've got the next generation leading our company now. Uh, Mm -hmm. The uh, president and CEO that we've had from day one. He's now
2: the, uh, uh, yeah,
1: he, he's, he's the executive chairman. He, he's oh. the executive chairman. That's Rick Bednar. And his oldest son, uh, Phil Bednar, he is now the president and CEO of the company. And he's like his dad, he has a mind for the the mechanics of the crossbow. And mm-hmm. you know, he has the forethought to uh you know come up with envision come up with different ideas, and he has a mind for the numbers. So, you know, he's he's in a very good position where he's at. And you know, at the same time, his younger brother Steve, he got uh Promoted to COO, and he's also executive vice president. So the the two sons have taken the company over, but they're so close to their father that they uh, run things by him. It's not like they're going to take take their title and say, "Well, I'm the boss now, and I'm going to do this, this, and this." They run everything. uh, by their father and ask his advice. And, you know, they, they talk it out together. They're, they're such yeah. a close family and it, it's amazing to work for a family like that. So, you know, with those three at the helm and, you know, I I'll still say Rick's at the helm, even though he's the executive mm-hmm. chairman. We're, we're using his brain to come up with new ideas and improvements. Which we've been doing all along, and you know his sons, you know they they have a say in things, and you know I'm I'm very proud to work for this company, and you know I'm I'm very proud of the uh, the strides that this family has taken to bring this company so far into the future.
0: Yeah, it's a good so this yep and obviously because they've been around for
1: 1994 is when the company was established.
0: So yeah. So about almost 20 years now. Oh, excuse me. Almost 30 years. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Right. Almost 30 years now. And their sales have just increased yearly after year, year after year. Uh, You ever have any uh, areas where they're actually in the block? In the red or versus, have all of them been in the black?
1: That I couldn't tell you, but, you know, when you first start out like that, those first years are always lean, but, you know, things have been in the black, you know, to keep us, you know, going forward. So, you know, you can't have too many years, you know, heading the wrong direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you have to sell out to competitors. Right. And- potentially lose investments and all that fun right. stuff. So I know we talked before the podcast and you told me about this. You're on the board of directors for the national Bowhunter hunter education foundation. How did that one start out?
1: <laughs> well, I've done a lot of uh, interacting with a lot of different state agencies and uh, mm-hmm. I've gone to different States and uh, trained Some of the politicians, I've trained uh, folks from the uh, Departments of Natural uh, Resources, and uh, I've helped write the uh, crossbow addendum and some of those things. So I was approached uh, several years ago and asked if I would be willing to uh, be on the board of directors, and Mm -hmm. I'm actually on the board of directors as the crossbow expert for the yes. National Bow Hunter Education Foundation. And I've written training programs. Uh this past weekend I was teaching a group of hunter education instructors or Bow Hunter education mm-hmm. instructors. And they I was certifying them to be international crossbow education program instructors. So wow. After taking this course, they're able to go out and actually teach the same course that I taught this past weekend and get other people that
0: out idea. there. Yeah, you were saying international. Have you trained and done things internationally as well?
1: Not as far as the training, but the training program does go international, and mm-hmm. the training program that we're using, I wrote. Now, you know.
0: You are pretty much the premier crossbow expert in the world, it sounds like.
1: Well, I'm in training, but, you know, I'm not the smartest on uh, every crossbow out there. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I I make sure I I try to do everything that, uh, you know, makes it fair for other uh, crossbow companies Mm -hmm. out there. You know, I'll teach about different things just because... Uh, I'm used to everything of ours doesn't mean, you know, a bunch of other companies don't have something similar. And yep. it's using a many, crossbow, you know, yep. those types of mechanics that goes without saying across the board.
0: Yeah. So in your travels, how many different companies are making crossbows in today? So the main big ones that you've seen.
1: They're they're lifting and shifting. Some are falling off. You know, every now and then you get new ones. You, you've got the main ones. Well, obviously, uh, Ten Point Wicked Ridge. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got um, the Mission by Matthews. They're still out there. You've got uh, mm-hmm. Barnett out there. You've got Center Point out there. Uh, you've got Killer Instinct. So there's. There's several companies out there. Obviously Raven
0: too. Yeah. I heard bad things about Raven actually is that their limbs break in the cold. And would you say that's one of the main faulty things or and for like the ten point ricket ridges, would you say that there's a maximum amount of time it has to it can stay out in the cold or are those Ah, uh, problems already been taken care of.
1: Keep in mind that uh, not all the crossbow parts are made in the USA.
2: Yeah.
1: So you've got parts that come in on boats, and they don't necessarily make them to the standards that uh, USA companies, uh, you know, require. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to speak ill of any company. But,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it depends on who's making what and when. And, you know, something I've told people all the time it's a mechanical piece of equipment. Somebody made it mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. So there's always a possibility of something happening that's not supposed to happen.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And, you know, a lot of these limbs, or the majority of these limbs, are glass protruded limbs. So you're taking these glass fibers and you'll you're uh, basically you're pulling it through and what a lot of people don't see or know is there could be air pockets in there. And if you've got something that's catching a lot of these air pockets, limbs just won't hold up no matter what yeah. you do. You can have an entire bad batch. And you know something went wrong in that process, and it can happen to any company.
0: Yeah. Um, do you guys usually do a full replacement if that happens, or
1: we have a five-year warranty on the limbs, and generally, mm-hmm. if the limbs are going to go, they're going to go within a very short time, and you know maybe five to fifteen shots, you're going to know. And, okay. You know if. Those people, remember I talked about folks that don't change their strain cables and about mm-hmm. limbs are supposed to flex at a certain point. Well, if those limbs aren't flexing at a certain point, you could be damaging them and then something happened. And that might happen on the sixth, seventh, eighth year, but they didn't do maintenance that they were supposed to do. And that's obviously yeah. something that's not, not out of warranty. Or yep. not in
0: better. So I don't know if we got on this one, but how much do the string replacement usually cost?
1: That's going to depend on the make and model. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you you can run uh, thirty some odd dollars for the string, and maybe fifty to seventy five on the cables. When you start getting into the higher performance, you know, you might pay $100 for a set of cables, but you're looking at four cables versus two. Everything's going to vary along that line too. And then when somebody goes to get those changed, you have to remember there's a shop fee added on, you know, an hourly fee. Some Mm -hmm. shops will say, you didn't buy it from me no matter what, you're getting the minimum charge of an hour's labor. And that you know, back yeah. in the day that used to run maybe 35 40 bucks now it's running 60 or 75 bucks maybe even more It depends on how busy yeah. that shop is so yeah yeah you know, a lot of those things vary too
0: hmm well uh, did you want to tell anybody how to reach you or is it just reaching ten points? <laughs>
2: yeah
1: um,
0: Like, leave me out of this. Just reach the company.
1: (laughs) Um, You can call the company. Um, You can also uh, fill out a contact us form on our website at www.tenpointcrossbows.com. And, Mm -hmm. you know, put in there what they're interested in. And, you know, it might involve me. It might not involve me. But, um, you know, you were asking about uh, folks with disabilities and things like that. Uh, I work with two organizations that take physically challenged or special needs kids, sometimes adults or first timers uh, or veterans hunting. I, I I guide, but I've worked with uh, blind individuals, quadriplegics, paraplegics, folks with cerebral palsy, uh, spina bifida, Down syndrome, amputees, Damn. uh you know, I work with a lot of different uh, challenged individuals. And uh, yeah. there's, I, I do want to uh, give a shout out to a company out there. If anybody's interested in adaptive equipment, check out a company called Be Adaptive. And you can reach them at beadaptive.com. They have uh, something that uh, we use quite often on, especially our quadriplegics. Uh, mm-hmm. We use their bite plate system and it works similar to the uh, what folks have known as the sippen and puff. Yep. But they actually bite down on a plate and multiple people can use that. Uh, the way we set it up, uh, we use a latex uh, that we put onto that plate a couple layers of latex so when one person uses it uh, we're able to take that latex off and change it for the next person on on a different hunt that's going to use it whereas a sip and puff the straw in there is for one person only those are not replaceable yeah but um yeah for adaptive equipment like that the adaptive is phenomenal with their equipment
0: yeah, they're actually based out of Warsaw, Indiana. So they're they're a half hour there from there. There you
1: go. Them. So be uh, is how to get a hold of
0: them. Right. And, well, I thank you for agreeing to come on sure. today. It's been a great great pleasure, and I know we've been trying to set this up for a while. So it's been oh, fun. Definitely. Yep, and I hope to see. 10 point improving getting better more innovative and be able to have you on in the near the future sounds right? good yeah 20
1: 2024 right. is going to have some uh, interesting products
0: out oh nice we didn't even get into new yeah. products that's the whole fun part but i think we can save that for a later day, Then, right well thank you again barb for coming on and being my you guest bet. and Remember, everybody, stay adapted. There you
1: go. Thank you very much.